I was tremendously excited, so excited that I'm ringing through my microphone. Uh, really excited being back here. It was three years ago. I, actually, what got me really excited was looking at this bulletin, and I kind of thought when I'd come up here there'd be confetti coming out of the ceiling. And but I guess that only happens for Matt, does it? Is that the deal whenever he comes home? As Jacinda was saying, we had a great time. The highlight of my last trip was throwing 25,000 tennis balls off their patio so Sky could run and catch them. And I fully expected when I spoke that Sunday morning that Sky would come in the side door with a tennis ball going, we're not done, you know. Uh, so if you you got to go visit them sometime, maybe all at once, preferably, and, and uh, that'll keep the dog busy for at least a few minutes. Uh, it's exciting being back today. Uh, I have such great memories of the last time we were here. A little bittersweet uh, because, of course, we, we stayed for a fair length of time uh, at, at the Lilies. And, uh, but this spring, my beautiful wife, Joy, uh, of 49 years, passed away suddenly. And, uh, and so it's, it's always strange to come back into places where you have memories together. And, and, and yet, uh, I think it's just so overwhelmingly positive. I'm so relieved that after our visit three years ago, the church has not only survived, but recovered. So uh, it is with a certain amount of mixed uh, feelings that I speak today. Uh, Matt asked me, of course people always do, I wrote this regrettable book called Naturally Supernatural, and so people often ask me when I come, would you speak about that? This, This partnership that we have of reaching towards uh, God and his kingdom and, and figuring out how that partnership works, how we reach and invite the future to break into the presence so we can have a taste of heaven now. And how can we do it without sort of floating three feet off the ground in white garments and halos? How can we be who we are and yet still see this magnificent joining of heaven and earth, even if only briefly? Um, so I said, great, sure, we'll, we'll think about that. So I was giving it a little thought on the plane on the way down, and, and I realized that central to almost everything we do in the vineyard relative to uh, this partnership with God has one key guiding principle. And that principle is, is that the partnership doesn't work this way. We come up with great ideas for God. We execute them. And then we find special kind of catchphrases that motivate him, like should have bought a Honda or something. And, and, and then God will ride in like the U.S. Cavalry in those regrettable B-Western movies and save our day and make our offering to him work. That we're not the leaders in this partnership. What it is all about is a completely switched paradigm where... We are recognizing that God is already at work everywhere around us. And our task is to follow that lead. Our task is to listen and to hear and join God in God's work. Now, of course, if we say that and believe that, which I certainly do and have witnessed it over 40 years, the amazing things that can come out of that simple act of obedience and following and listening is it requires one key skill, and that is hearing. Hearing from God. 
And that's what I'd like to speak about this morning. As soon as I do that, everyone will go, hold it, like hearing from God. Like that's, we own that. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, but it's fascinating. And I'll give you a little, uh, tell you where I got this information. Uh, Over the last four years, some friends of mine, academics, theologians, we've been working on this little fun little project. A lot of you down here know about the Strength Finders survey, and everyone's done uh, Enneagrams, and and they know where their you know their primary wing is, and all of that. And uh, but what we've never ever seen is any kind of survey or metric that will actually give us some feedback of where we are on our faith journey with God. Uh, there's all sorts of things like does your worship team suck or not. <laughs> But like, how much do you trust God? How much do you experience his love? And and can you forgive? What about hospitality? All these metrics that really describe who Jesus was. So actually, probably by the time of the conference, uh, it will be possible for you to go to myfaithjourney.life. And in about a 15-minute survey, it will then give you a whole summary of not only where your strengths are, where, where, where's the ground you can plant your feet in this trusting relationship with God, but what are all of the opportunities, opportunities that are really exciting because it's at those places that God is already waiting for us. That's the edge of his invitation saying, do you want to trust me more? And, and so we've been developing this and running this and working this with a lot of different test churches because it's a very scientific instrument. Oh, by the way, it's all free. We made a decision. None of us will ever make a cent from it. We, we, uh, this is to be a gift to the church. But what we discovered was this. In testing a bunch of vineyard churches is that we think we are really strong in hearing from God. But what we mean by that is the other people are strong at hearing from God. Ourselves, we don't have a ton of confidence that the tapes running in our minds, that many of them are God, and if they are, we're not exactly sure which ones are him and which ones are pizza. Isn't that true? You know what? It's been the biggest struggle in my Christian life. Once I begin to realize that what God wants is real relationship and not just some kind of compliance or not a system to run until he comes back, but he wants a living relationship, which means that he wants communication. He wants speaking and listening and not a conversation in which we just recite scripture back to himself. He goes, you know what? I know that stuff. I wrote it. But we don't have much confidence in our ability to discern what it is that God is saying. And that holds us so far back from engaging in these kinds of naturally supernatural activities that we talk about. And so we tend to want to leave them to others. Uh, Am I speaking to the right church? Everyone know what I'm talking about? But we don't sort of want to say it because we think that we're the only ones that really haven't really caught it yet, right? It reminds me of the old Charlie Brown. Remember that comic strip, American comic strip, and 
And Lucy and Linus and Charlie Brown were lying back in the grass looking at the clouds. And, and I think Lucy said, what do you see in the clouds, Linus? And he went, oh, I just see a, a, a scene out of Beethoven's Fourth. And, and, and then she goes, oh, to me it's a Rorschach inkblot. And, and finally they turned to Charlie Brown and say, Charlie Brown, what do you see? He goes, I was going to see I saw a horsey and a ducky, but it changed my mind. That's what it's like for a lot of us. We think that all these other people, God said, and then God told me, and, and, and we're going, I think I see a horsey and a ducky, but I'm not sure. <laughs> so what I want to do this morning is give a very practical, low-key message that comes out of my own life and struggle and trying to figure out how this could work for me. I always understood how it would work for Joy because she was actually a real Christian. And she did most of the heavy lifting in our, in our partnership, you know. And, and I'm sort of like the spiritual slug that keeps us grounded to earth. And I thought, but it's got to work for me too. But how in the world can I have confidence to believe that the thoughts that are running through my mind could possibly be God's thoughts? So uh, we're somewhere down in our message here somewhere, but uh, uh, let's jump to Romans chapter 8, verse 15, 16. This, this is the whole point of Jesus. This is what Jesus came to do, and that is to restore a rich living relationship with God through Jesus and for no other reason. In the message translation, Paul, one of the great early leaders of, of the church, writes to Christians in Rome. He says, this resurrection life... Oh, did you know there was a clock down here, by the way? I've got a little message that says, land the intro, you're already late. So next, next week, some of you should sit up here. It's really interesting. They got, and they got rugby scores. They got all sorts of stuff here, man. Uh, Oh, where was I? Romans, Romans 8. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. Like, it isn't just some kind of lockstep observance of, of trying to do the right things. and uh, It's adventurously expectant. It's greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our hearts and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are Father and children. This is what God wants for us. It's not always what we want. I mean, at times, quite honestly, this is a challenge for us because we would rather have than a venture and discovery. We'd like to have a predictable God, one that that minds us and and does what we want and, and gives us a sense of control over our lives. And, and that's why it seems to be human nature. We always try to create theological systems that, that give us the ability to contain God and to explain God. Because it's, it's, you know what? It's always safer and easier to know about God than to know him. We sang about the lion. Remember those Aslan books and movies? Oh, don't mistake and think he's some kind of tame lion. Relationship with God isn't predictable. That's what makes it so wonderful. 
And the story, this incredible story that we call the Bible, Old Testament and New, this amazing story of the pursuit of God reaching to reconcile us back into this adventurous relationship. It's full of stories of people who walked and listened and talked with God. And this is what we're being, being invited into. All of these relationships, just as this verse expresses, are, are filled with communication. Fathers and children talk to each other. But how do we grow in that conversation? Well, well we know the Bible is a gift to help us with, with, in that regard. It, it's a critical piece in understanding the kinds of things that God says. It's kind of like walking into a, um, a restaurant and being handed a menu. You go, here's the kinds of things that we can eat. But if you then... Uh, no, I won't make a joke about that. That's okay. <laughs> She's already embarrassed enough. I, I, actually, I was just pausing thinking, did I put my phone on do not disturb? Um, where was I? Oh, menu, yes. But how strange it would be if we went, this looks amazing, and then start chewing the corner. You don't eat the menu. The menu is there to tell you the kinds of things that God would say and the kinds of things that God hears so that you'll talk, right? The menu is there so you'll eat. And that's what God's wanting to lead us towards. But the, the challenge is it creates a tremendous dilemma. Because when you read this amazing story of all these relationships, you realize that very rarely... Does God actually speak to you in an audible voice? It would help be helpful if he did. Like my watch talks to me and, uh, you know, it tells me what a crappy sleep I had and uh, it'll say good morning. And, but it would be helpful to me if, if, if I was walking along and I heard, uh, Gary, this is God. Wouldn't that be helpful? The, the problem is when God speaks to me, and I suspect it's very similar with all of you, he uses my voice, my high squeaky voice, and it sounds just like the rest of me. And it's not that simple to figure out which is God, which is me, which is a demon, and which is pizza. And it all jumbles up together. And my task is to figure out how to discern those thoughts and voices so that I begin to have, oh, never certainty. Uh, beware of anyone who said, God said da. Yeah. Right? Uh, because it's just as uncertain for them as it is for you. You have to try to sort it out through a life of experience. Isn't that, like, isn't that, that way with any relationship? I mean, if you would have, well, even before Joy died, if, if you would have put the two of us up on a stage and asked us any question, you'd have the most entertaining service you ever had in, in your life because anything on earth, we would start from the absolute polar opposites and then look at each other and go, you believe what? As though we had never talked to one another. 
But if you think it's, well, it's not that bad now because she's not here, but uh, over the years, by just never giving up talking and listening, not only did we begin to really understand the voice of the other and actually sometimes even hear it inside of our brains when the other one wasn't, think, wasn't there. But, but you know, when she died, it felt to me like half of me was gone. And I didn't know which half. Like I didn't know which thoughts were mine anymore and which were hers. And it, it, that's the way it is in this relationship. After a while, God's thoughts and our thoughts start to meld together. But it never gets any clearer. It never gets any more powerful. It's never an octave lower. <laughs> and so this is the great challenge of, of being, of entering into this journey of trust. Learning how to trust the voice that we've heard and we've walked with. And of course, I mean, the, the body of Christ is polarized in this. There are people who believe that they, you know, they, they talk so certainly as though they must hear in a different way than we do. And then there's the others that are so freaked out by all of that that they basically, the only voice that they accept is the voice of God through the Bible. By that they mean through the correct interpretation of the Bible, which just happens to be their interpretation of the Bible. And so they trust that voice. And yet that's no more certain than the other. And I understand people that just go, you know what? I'm just trying to behave myself. And, and I'm, I'm, what was it? Billy Crystal and the Princess Bride? I'm not listening, <laughs> right? Because it's just too risky. We've been hurt too many times by people that dragged God into some kind of conversation as though, you know, as though he was authoring it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Does it sound too negative? Yeah. Uh, this is just the reality of what we struggle with. And so I had some years where I got all excited about it and I traveled with the prophets and I thought, these guys are really gifted, but they're just as crazy as I am. <laughs> like sometimes they don't have a clue. And other times they know your phone number. Like, and, and, but then other times I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to become a, like it's just me and the Bible now. Or, or uh, I, I'm not even going to pray. Or, but but you, you can't live that way if you want relationship. So what I've had to embrace over the course of my life is this humble acknowledgement of how broken and inexact and incomplete the process is, and yet reach to know the voice of God. Not only for myself, because I die without it, but I've seen also what an incredible thing it can be when we're able to speak into the lives of other people with the inside of God and unlock things that we could never begin to unlock on our own. Um, so how do you do it? Well, what you realize is only through discernment. When I first, I mean, I read years ago, John 10, 10, my sheep hear my voice. And by that time, I thought I was a sheep. I was a black one. Uh, but at least I thought it was a sheep. And, and I said, 
then I guess I hear God's voice. And I went, but which one is it? And I realized the only way I'd ever be able to discern, grow in discernment. Now, this, you may want to write this down. This is profound. The only way you can grow in discernment is by discerning. <laughs> Otherwise, you just become a legend in your own mind. Right? You got to just do it. You got to assume maybe that something is God. And with profound humility. I mean, when I first to start to travel and do some sort of prophetic sorts of thing, I want to say to people, look, please, uh, do you have insurance? <laughs> I just want to first of all apologize. If you had any idea what's going on in my brain, you wouldn't be staying for this. You know? I thought that's probably not helpful. So, uh, but in the early days, and I'm not much beyond that now, people would say, how do you hear these things from God? And I would go, well, the short and simple answer is, I guess. Uh, there's a longer answer, and, and, and that may be helpful for you, and I'll share that longer answer with you, but, but you're never, it's not like you own it. It's not like you know it. It's not like you can put it in the bank. It's all, you know how broken you are. You know how self-deceiving you are. You pray over and over with David, oh God, search my heart. Because uh, uh, you know me, and i tell you what, I sure don't. I mean, I'll fool myself a thousand times a day. Oh, I wasn't even going to go there. But uh, you understand what I'm saying? And you live in that reality, the grace and mercy of God who takes up the space between us. So what I, all I want to do, uh, now by the way, if this sounds like I've just sort of pulled hearing from God down from a pedestal and cheapened it somewhat, I'm, I'm just really saying what Paul said. I mean, Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he said, look, your services, they're exciting, but they're pretty much a mess. And we we need to bring a little bit of discernment into your services. So he goes, in the prophecy part, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, 29, he says, look, get two or three prophets speak before everybody goes crazy. Just take a deep breath and go, does this make any sense? Hear what I'm saying? Like, don't be afraid to judge or to discern prophetic words or weigh carefully what is said it doesn't mean have a critical spirit you can be you can you can carefully weigh something without being a cynic or a critic right because just because someone says god said doesn't make it so even if their heart wants it to be so doesn't make it so the second thing he says to the thessalonians and evidently it was a not even quite as good as a Corinthian service, but he, in, in, in chapter 5, he says to them, look, uh, don't suppress the spirit and don't stifle those who have a word from the master. Uh, what does it say in, in the NIV? Is it something like, don't treat prophecy with contempt? Uh, now, you wonder, why did they treat prophecy with contempt? Maybe because a lot of it was contemptible. What? And what he says is, now, don't be a gullible, Check out everything. Keep what's good. Eat the chicken, spit out the bones. And they're going, with prophecy, you're allowed to do that? Yes, you are. You weigh it, 
You judge it and you watch it. You keep score. You see what happens. Because you see, people can have revelation, and it is revelation from God, but our minds always love to take over and start to interpret it and apply it, and then that's what we say, right? We take one little word, and we want to say it and share it, and we go, oh, that pretty much sucks. And so then we add to it, and we don't know we're doing it. And then it becomes something that can be so life-giving becomes hurtful. And that's and so Paul's just saying, no, 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 don't don't throw don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but don't drink the water. Right? So let's just land it with this. What can we do, given the fact that this is an amazing gift from God, that God would reach to us and speak to us and speak through us? And combining that with the brokenness and uncertainty of our human condition, how do we, over time, grow in our confidence to be able to have this gift of communication with God just be an amazing experience in this whole community? One that just wonderfully rolls out the invitation of God to us all. I mean, there is that passage in Corinthians, and this, I've seen this happen, where someone walks into a place, and what happened to my, my son-in-law? I mean, he wasn't my son-in-law at the time, he was a drug dealer. But he came in to the service, and about a few minutes in, some people start walking over and said, hey, how are you doing, man? Uh, can I just share something with him? And they'd start, I mean, the theological term is, they started reading his mail. And he was terrified. Three or four people did that, and he ran out of the place. He got, I got to get out of here. But he couldn't stay away. Because something had hooked into his heart. It was the invitation of God. Boy, we want our services to be like that, don't we? Right? So what are some of the things I've learned? And, and, and please understand, I... I don't consider myself an expert in any of this. I, you know what? A lot of my early life, I was a kid who was terrified, insecure, and I was small, and I couldn't beat anybody up, and uh, so I beat them up with words, and I became an expert at tearing people apart. I was the foulest speaker you'd ever heard in your life. I, I ripped people to shreds just to protect me. And, of course, destroyed myself in the process. I was an alcoholic in my teens. And, and, and amazingly, God rescued me. But my whole life has been trying to get salve for my eyes and wash them and see in a different way. Instead of seeing through the broken perspective of what's wrong, what's weak, what isn't, and exploiting it, I've tried to learn by surrendering my eyes and then my mouth and my actions to God, how can I see what God sees? And how can I speak it out? But I tell you what, that takes a lifetime. And that's the journey I'm on. Real helpful little verse, because it's always great to, 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 to anchor something to something we can pull up and look back on. That is a good guide for me is, 
uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 4. And it's kind of a summary in verse 80. So summing it all up, my friends. And then he breaks it down just three little things. I like three because it's Trinitarian. Makes you sound like you're a Christian and a, a three-stranded cord. I mean, there's also I mean, threes really work, don't they? You should have a third island. Uh, oh, you do. Oh, how cool is that? How cool is that? Um, and and so here's three things that have really made a difference to me. But I want to tell you something. It doesn't make you Moses overnight, or Mosette. Right, But it is a step in the direction that leads to the wonderful gifts of God. Friends, I'd say you do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. That is profound. I'll tell you what's profound, because in the modern age, it's dominated by critical thinking. We know how to fix things. And the way we know how to fix things is because we're experts at knowing what's wrong with everything. Don't we? We look at something and go, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. There's only one weakness we have. We can't see what's right. And so we're chronically depressed. Isn't that true? And the ability to begin to see what can be starts to align our vision with the vision of God. But it takes a revolution saying, I'm not going to see the worst anymore. See, the way that translates for us, even in the vineyard, where we talk constantly about the presence of God, here's the reality. Most of the time we presume his absence. We work like crazy as God would work if he was working. Instead of understanding that God's here. God's everywhere. God's in every one of us. He's already transforming us. And if we could begin to see it, it changes our whole perspective about life. And so that's something I began to practice over years. Everywhere. I'd go into a restaurant and I'd see a waiter or a waitress and I'd, I'd, you know, I mean, the first thing is I would, I might think of things like, I'm taller than them, you know, and I'd go, stop it. I'd go, God, you're here. What do you see? Why do you love them so much? What's your, what's your invitation to them? I know that your posture towards us is always one of invitation. You know, remember who you are. Be who you can be. So I'd go, why would you have come to earth for this person if it was just them? And you know, something astonishing would happen. And it's the key to hearing God's voice. I'd stop thinking about me for a minute. We're paranoid about us, aren't we? It's kind of like we talk about ourselves, talk about ourselves. We say, well, enough about me. What do you think of me? And then all of a sudden, you're seeing someone, and you're seeing what God sees. And you know what would happen to me? My heart would be moved. Sometimes almost tears would come to my eyes. And I'd think, 
I am getting uh, a prophetic word. Uh, no, I wouldn't think that at all. Because I'm thinking of them. If you're thinking about some great prophetic word you're going to get, you'll end up pathetic, not prophetic. But if you think about the person that God sees, your words will be a gift. And so I would say to them, thus says the Lord. Now I'd say, you know, what an amazing smile you have. I can't believe, given the things you've been through, that you still give that gift away. And then I go, how do, how do I know what they've been through? I don't. I, I never thought of that before. But suddenly I know some of the pain they've experienced. And I just want to break into tears. I go, what's happening to me? Well, I'm experiencing God's heart for people. You see, the whole thing about spiritual gifts is not to think about spiritual gifts. It's to think about the recipients. And when our hearts join God's hearts, God's grace empowers us to deliver his heart. That was a life changer for me. Getting my mind off myself, stopping trying to be gifted, and just seeing people. And it's, it's, it's my constant discipline to this day. The second thing Paul goes on to say, he says, put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. I, this is huge. Like, if we're ever going to grow in our ability to know what God is saying to us, we've got to do what we think might be God speaking to us. You know, for years... I would practice, I mean, really low, low risk things. Like I'd be driving to work and a thought would come into my mind, go right. And I, and you know, I mean, originally I go, well, that's stupid. That's longer. It's, it's, and I just began to do it. Uh, and, and most of the time, I wouldn't even know if I avoided some accident. I mean, at first you're tuning in to see that, like, God save me from utter destruction. Or, and after a while, I didn't even care. I just wanted to practice listening to what I thought might be a nudge from God and doing it. And not even keeping score necessarily. But what I know is that if you practice Responding to those nudges, you get sharper at discerning, at discerning those nudges. You get more sensitive. Because it is true, Old Testament and New, that God's voice tends most times to be the whisper in your conversation. And it's so easily missed by all of the anxiety-crowded thoughts that are jamming their way into our minds. Isn't that true? So you've got to just kind of dial yourself down and become like a little child sometimes and do stuff that doesn't make sense. But don't start at big high-risk things. Risking coming up and standing on stage and giving a prophetic word to the whole crowd. You know, practice little things that God's saying to you and, and do it. And, and of course... So again, I mean, I, I can, well, 
I mean, okay. Uh, I wasn't thinking of this, but uh, I could say, I could look at this woman here in the black jacket and the red, and, uh, and then something could come in. I, the only reason I pointed you out was because when I moved my hand like that, I, I saw you, and right away I almost choked up. And I go, why would I do that? You see, something, and then some things come into my mind. But you see, unless then I'll do something with it. Um, you know, so what I saw was just your eyes. I mean, I can barely see your eyes. I'm mostly blind. Uh, <laughs> But it's a different kind of seeing. There is such a sensitivity and a softness in your eyes and a yearning for what can be, for what can be in the people around you and they can't see it, for what could be in your own life, what could be in your relationship. There's this, there's just, it, it's, it's a, a, a deep, well, the German philosophers called it Zainzucht. It's it's like a longing for a home you've never known. It's this, this impatient... Uh, does that make any sense to you? Yeah. You know. Uh, but you see, uh, that's how close heaven is to you. My wife was like that. In her last days, I, I didn't really know which, which realm she was in. You know, she was getting so close to heaven. There's this deep, deep longing in you that's the longing of heaven. And it's profound in terms of giving hope to people. Right? Does that speak to your heart? Uh, now, of course, you, you have to say yes, because otherwise, I mean... Yeah. But you see, if, if I see it and don't say it, it does nothing for me and it does nothing for her. You've got to put into practice. Now, the terrifying thing is, I could tell you if we had time, uh, all these stories, I just said, God, you know, the last thing I would ever want to do in my life is prophesy. I could understand Paul saying, love all spiritual gifts, even prophecy. But he says, especially prophecy, and say, I don't get it. I will never put myself into this, so you're going to have to help me. And then begins some years of God helping me. One time I was in Sweden, and uh, uh, it wasn't my turn to speak, so there was a speaker speaking in Swedish, and at the end of the message, and I didn't get a translator because I was tired and jet-lagged, and he called me up. So I came up, all right, and uh, I prayed this prayer not that long before, Lord, help me in these things. And so I said, what are we going to do? He said, well, I told all the people that you're going to pick people out of the crowd and give them prophetic words. <laughs> What are you smoking? Like, what? And, I, and I, I had this thought, I'm helping you. You hear what I'm saying? So, uh, so practice now before God helps you. It's the way we grow. It's the way we learn. Right? And then the last part, he says, uh, do that. I mean, look for that which is right and good. and uh, it's, it's the presence of God, the invitation of God breaking in. Let it move your heart and then let your heart go. Don't craft your words. <clears throat> so whatever I said to you, 
didn't know what I was going to say. I, all I know is what I felt. And so I spoke words as they came. Does that make sense? The terrifying thing at first is, well, you know, have you ever had a, I'm going to be very culturally aware, have you ever had like a little thread coming out of your jumper, right? And you know you want to pull it. What you don't know is how long it is. In a jumper, you want it to be really short. You don't want it to be the whole jumper, right? In prophecy, you want it to be very long. You don't want, thus says the Lord, nice. <laughs> I, maybe even nicest. Of all the people I've seen today, I just like right away, it was like capital N, all caps, nice. You know, I mean, no matter how you dress it up, it's still one word, right? Four letters, sanctified, right? Uh, so that's the fear, isn't it? But it, in a way, it's like divine improv. You can't block. You can't be thinking about yourself. You have to be thinking about the love of God and the gift of the person. You step into the stream of God's generosity. You are not impressed with yourself. You are not going, oh, that's a pretty good word. You know? It's sort of like someone going, what a great word you had. It's like, do you have UPS? What is it? FedEx? UPS? What is it down here? Okay, UPS. So it's sort of like you bring a package to a door. You ring the doorbell. Someone comes in. They see the package. And they bow down and go, oh, delivery man. Oh. And you're a little embarrassed. You're going like, you know, I, it's from your mother. <laughs> like, I'm just delivering the package. Like, it's probably a jumper. I mean, I, you know. I don't like, this is a little embarrassing, really. I'm just delivering the mail. Get it? It's all we're ever doing. But the amazing thing is, we get to hang around and watch them open it. And we see the interchange between God and people. We go, like, how cool is that? I could do this the rest of my life. Don't you want to do that? Well, we can. Just don't use the word prophetic. As soon as you do that, people print up t-shirts and get weird. <laughs> Just give gifts to people. It's all we need to do. And so the last thing he says is, do that, and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. We get so uptight that we're going to screw up Christianity for God. You know, relax. Just relax. You will. <laughs> We've been doing it for 2,000 years. And he still stays with the program. Evidently, he doesn't want to do this without us. You understand? It's not us. It's not the wonderful things we do. It's just the fact that we're joining our Father in his work. And God loves to have the kids working alongside. Just loves to let us be part of the whole process of redemption. And so it's, my confidence is never in my ability to hear God. Uh, I, I barely have enough confidence to know that I'm sane. I mean, I, I, uh, 
my confidence is in God's ability to use me. To help me find him and to help me help others find him. And I have great confidence in that. Often in the past years, I mean I'm retired now so I can do anything I want, but I used to do a lot of traveling around, a lot of spiritual gifts kinds of things with people that were terrified. I mean, they, you know, I mean, they, they walked into the workshop constipated, and, and it just got worse as things went along. You know, <laughs> and, and, and in this workshop, you're sort of saying, all right, here's God's bow, and here's an arrow. There's the target down there. And, 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 and they can hardly even bear to pull back the arrow because they know they're going to kill somebody. Right? And, and, but it's the wrong picture. It's not like God is sitting there with a clipboard going, okay, arrow one. Yeah. Like missed the whole target, right? Arrow two, not much better. Arrow three, is anybody around here ever going to learn how to shoot? A- like God isn't some kind of judge evaluating how we're doing this thing. God's holding the target. And what he's saying is, I was going to say more colorfully, but I won't. I, I, I have less... Uh, I, no, I won't go there. I'll, I'll just get in trouble. It, God's holding the target. And what he's saying is, shoot the arrow, I'll catch it. You hear me? Haven't you seen that? Isn't that what we do with our kids? You know, ever played catch with your kid when they're little? The game is getting the ball in their glove somehow, right? They don't have the slightest clue how to catch it. And if you're good enough, you get it in their glove and they feel like a miracle worker, right? That's what God does to us because he wants us in the game. So be humble. Know that you're not God's man or woman of power for this hour, right? but with confidence, father and child, reach to the God who's reaching to you and to the world and be part of that amazing flow of generosity. Can't we do that? I think all of us can do that. I'll tell you what, if we do it, you'll change this community. 